doing a series out of the book of Galatians, which is uh, addressing the issue of freedom in Christ, that we are free in Jesus, and what that looks like. And um, we've come to chapter 2, and in chapter 2, we meet this guy called Barnabas, who is a Christian leader, who is in Antioch. He's ministering in a place called Antioch, which is in Galatia. That's why Paul is uh, talking about him. And he comes to this point in his life where Peter comes into the church in Antioch, and uh, it's a Gentile church, it's not a Jewish community, it's a Gentile community, and Peter stops eating with the Gentiles. He he kind of reverts back to his Jewish tradition, and um, he stops eating with people that are not Jewish. And Paul takes him on and says, my friends, you are completely wrong. You're not being consistent with the gospel that you say you believe. And so he challenges him very directly. And then at the same time, it says, an interesting verse in chapter 2, it says that even Barnabas was led astray by Peter's hypocrisy. And so we've been looking a little bit at Barnabas, and, and um, I think he's a great, great hero of the, new, of, the, of the early church. And so last week, I had a look at you, Look at you. <laughs> I'm not having a good morning this morning. Eh? I had a look with you at six things in Barnabas's life that came from his faith. And if you read, we started looking in um, Acts, which said that Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And so I had a look at the connection and said, well, why was he described as being good? And I said that his goodness was because of the great faith that he had on the inside of him, and it expressed itself as the Holy Spirit was transforming him. It expressed itself outwardly in his life, and so he was a great encourager, for example. And we had a look at that, that he was a guy that always was looking for people on the outside of the kingdom to draw them in. And we had a look at uh, five things that I, I said. The other one was... Now I've got to try and remember them. The other, the other four. Okay, he was a man that could encourage people to persevere. Remember it says uh, he saw the grace of God in the church in Antioch and he was glad and he rejoiced and he encouraged them to remain true in their faith. He was a generous man, thirdly. He um, sold that field and he gave all the money to the apostles at the beginning and said, do whatever you want with this. So he was a generous man. He could be trusted with money. And there are two others that I've forgotten, but we'll, <laughs> we'll look at them again. But I want to look at another aspect of Barnabas this morning. And this is one of the great things that he achieved as well. So he, he was a great maker of leaders. Okay, and I want to have a look at leadership this morning. I don't want to talk about leadership per se. I want to talk about us being those that help to make leaders through our lives. All right? And so let's have a look. We're going to start, if you want to have a look with me in Acts chapter 9, we're going to look at three or four verses as a basis for what I'd like to say this morning. So Acts 9 and verse 18. And maybe it will be good to pray for me. (laughs) Can I do that? Father, I want to thank you for your word, and I want to just pray that you'd help me this morning to communicate well, effectively, and Holy Spirit, I pray that you would bring life. Everything that is from you, you would bring life to it, and what is not from you, that it would just die. But Lord, we want your life. Holy Spirit, we want your transforming power in our lives, and so I pray that you would help me this morning to do what you've uh, given, to communicate what you've given me effectively, but above all, Lord, I pray that you would transform us all from the inside. 
in Jesus' name. All right, so uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 18, and this is talking of the conversion of Saul. It says this, Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem amongst those who call on his name? On this name, rather. And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan, and day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him, and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. And when the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea Caesarea, and sent him off to Tarsus, Then the church through Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. Wouldn't that be a great testimony of the church in St. Albans? It was strengthened. It was encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers and lived in the fear of the Lord. That would be an amazing testimony. And let's be praying for that, for the whole church in this region. But I I want to start by saying this. I said it last week. You know, great ideas are powerful ways of transforming our lives and of of transforming the world. Have you heard this phrase before? Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Who said that? Do you remember? JFK. Kennedy said that. Now, why such a powerful idea is that it did shape many lives, but what gave it great power is that some people saw in Kennedy, they saw him living out what he said. In the same way, if I was to quote Churchill, we will fight them on the beaches, we will not surrender, we'll, you know, all that famous speech that he gave. Why did Churchill have such influence in the Second World War? was because people feel, felt that he was a man who was not going to give up. He had that doggedness, he had that resilience, he had that absolute bulldog thing in him, I'm not going to give up. And when he said what he said, people believed him. So my point is a very simple thing, is that great doctrines, like I tried to encourage you last week, read lots, as much as you can, read good books, read good books about great people that have lived by the power of the Holy Spirit and have done wonderful things for the Lord Jesus, because that's where the power comes from. It's not just about living the idea and understanding the idea, sorry, it's not about just understanding the idea in your head, it's about living out what you say you believe, and that's where the power is, when we live out the doctrine that is transforming us from the inside. Amen? And so, I want to encourage you. That's why I want to have a look at this, uh, 
this morning again at Barnabas. And my, my aim really is to encourage you in terms of what Hebrews 13 verse 7 says. Consider the outcome of his life and imitate his faith. I, I, I want to encourage you with that. We can learn from other people that have gone before us and we can learn to imitate their faith and what transformed them. And so I want to look at um, Barnabas, one of his major accomplishments um, this morning that I've already read, Acts 11. And I think he is a remarkable man because, do you know this, he never wrote anything in the New Testament as far as we know. I was chatting to a guy the other day who said, I hope Barnabas wrote Hebrews so that he was, can be credited with something in the New Testament. Well, I said to him this, it doesn't matter to me because Barnabas influenced the two, two of the most powerful leaders in the New Testament through his life. One was Paul, the other one was John Mark, and Paul and John Mark together wrote one-third of the New Testament. Isn't that an amazing thing? This man Barnabas, who no one really knows of, influenced those two men so powerfully that they managed to write a third of the New Testament. Great theologian, great church planters. And so this is, for me, is one of Barnabas's most wonderful accomplishments was that he was able to raise up other people around him who went further than he did. And so I want to ask you, in terms of leadership, what is a Christian leader? Let's just start with a, a definition. I want to start very broadly because it really does include every single one of us. And I say that because of this. Broadly speaking, any person is more or less a Christian leader as that person influences Christian influence in Christian ways on other people. Yeah? So we are all leaders. I'm not talking about formal leadership now, and I'm not really talking about leadership this morning. I want to talk about those that make leaders, that help to raise other people up. In other words, a Christian leader is... a uh, Someone who, through their lives, shapes people towards the image of Christ. Can you, would you agree with me? So we all, to some extent, regardless of our um, education, upbringing, personality, gifts, current employment, whatever it is, all of us have the potential to shape other people towards Christ-likeness. And hopefully that's what we're doing in our lives, just by living our lives, that people can see something of Jesus in us, and we are helping to shape other people towards Christ. That's what Christian leadership is. So I can be more specific then and say that a, a good Christian leader is someone who has a really extraordinary influence and can bring people into the sway of their influence and point them towards Jesus. And so it is broad, it includes all of us, but then there, there are those that have a particular gift to do that in a specific way. I don't know if you've heard uh, of Patrick Johnson. He's a guy that wrote a book called Operation World uh, at WEC, just here in Gerald's Cross. He's been, he was there for many years. And basically this book, Operation World, it uh, was written to inform Christians about every country in the world to try and encourage people to pray for the world and to engage Christians in a mission and praying for those that were, are out in the mission field. And it's, and it's written broadly from an evangelical point of view, uh, trying to address places of the world that are unevangelized. And uh, on page 37 of this book, he says this, Patrick Johnson. He says, leadership is the key. There's a worldwide lack of men and women truly called of God and deeply taught in the scripture to lead churches 
people willing to suffer scorn, poverty, and shame, the shame of the cross, for the sake of their Savior who redeemed them. Those who accurately and effectively expound the, expound the Scripture are few, especially in areas where the churches are growing rapidly. So he's looking at the world. He's looking at not only the first world, third world emerging countries, and that's his comment. Now, I have found I've been leading, I've been involved in church life since my mid-twenties in a formal way. I'm 50 now, so that's 25 years. And I must say this, that um, wherever I've been involved in leadership, there are, there are those that tend to oppose leadership, wherever it begins to emerge. And um, I've heard this of, often, that the church needs to be a democracy, and if the church can become more democratic, it will become a giant. I don't have time now, but I would love to take time to assert the following thing by Scripture, that opposition to leadership or an anti-leadership mentality is not really born out of great vision. It's, I found it's always born out of little resentments. <laughs> little resentments. And so there's those in the church that have little, little resentments because someone hurt them in the past or whatever, and so they, they don't want to just submit their lives to leadership in the church, which is there to do us all good. And I can't assert that this morning because I don't have time, but I, I believe Johnson is absolutely right. His diagnosis is correct. It's because it's biblical. And I want to encourage you, what we need in the church worldwide is spirit-filled, Bible-saturated, Christ-exalting, humble, untiring, persevering, <laughs> Leaders, men and women, who exhort deep, life-changing, broad influence for the sake of Jesus on other people. That's what the church desperately needs. And so we need those. We, we need people like, like Barnabas who can make hundreds and thousands of leaders that can take their place to lead God's church all over the world. So I'm not talking about leadership. To, can you get it? I'm going to say it a third time. I'm not talking about leadership this morning. I'm talking about leader makers, people that can make other leaders. And I read an amazing thing that so encouraged me. Everyone's heard of Charles Spurgeon. Haven't you heard of Charles Spurgeon? The greatest 19th century preacher. If you go to Elephant and Castle, you can still see where he preached. His uh, facade of his church is there. He preached to tens of thousands of people on the weekend. And everyone knows him for his great preaching and his writing and his theology. He had, has anyone heard of Mary King? Anyone? I hadn't heard of Mary King. Well, Mary King was the housekeeper at Newmarket where he went to school. Right? Listen what he says about this lady, this, this um, housekeeper, and the influence that she had on his life. Listen. She liked something very sweet indeed. I'm quoting Spurgeon. She liked something very sweet indeed. Good, strong, Calvinistic doctrine. But she lived strongly as well as fed strongly. Many times we have gone over the covenant of grace together and talked of the personal election of God's saints, their union to Jesus, their final perseverance, and what vital godliness meant. And I do believe, Spurgeon speaking, that I have learned more from her than I should ever have learned from any six doctors of divinity of any of the sort that we have nowadays. What an amazing thing. His, this lady who just loved him. 
and shared the gospel and shared what she understood and shared what she understood of doctrine and the covenant of grace that we have and how we set free in Jesus, this housekeeper shared with this boy and what she invested in him, he became the greatest preacher of the 19th century. She made a great leader. No one's even heard of her. I want to encourage you. Perhaps the greatest thing you're going to do is going to go unnoticed for years and years and years. I said to you the other day, perhaps the greatest thing I will ever do is to raise two boys that love Jesus passionately and transform their generation. If that's all I do, I've done a good thing. So, five marks then out of Barnabas' life that speak of how he helped to make leaders of other people. And so, I've said this already, but it's amazing that he was the one person that championed and uh, took the initiative to push forward and encourage and recommend the ministry of Paul and John Mark. And um, here are five things that I think we can learn from him. And these are, in a sense, recapping some of the stuff that I said last week. The first is this. Barnabas was a risk taker. Barnabas knew how to take risks to support other people that were emerging in the church. And so we read in Acts 9, after Paul's conversion, he, I mean, Paul was the hatchet man. Paul was the, the hired gun, if you like. He was the mafioso of the, of, the, of the Pharisee tradition. He wiped people out. People that the Pharisees didn't like, Paul was the guy. He was the go-to guy. Take them out, Paul, and he did. He literally killed people. And so no wonder <laughs> he comes to, to faith and the early church is absolutely petrified of him. They're absolutely nervous. They've got a good reason to be nervous. He was killing them. He was going around to churches and finding those that followed Jesus and he was, he was doing his best to execute them. And we know that he, he was there when Stephen was executed. It says in Acts, it says that he was there approving of Stephen's death. He was orchestrating everything. And those that stoned Stephen brought his clothes and laid them at the feet of Paul to say, Paul, we've done a good job. He was the guy approving of everything. So he gets saved radically. And we read this morning in verse 27, only Barnabas had the courage to take him and brought him to the other apostles and he became the advocate, the champion of Paul. And the result was that the church accepted Paul and his ministry flourished in Jerusalem. And Barnabas watched and he made notes of that, and it's not the first time or the last time that he would support Paul's ministry. So the first thing I want to encourage you in is that um, biblical, pe- biblical leaders, the biblical leader makers, are willing to take a risk on behalf of those that have potential that no one else is prepared to take a chance with. And there was a great payoff for the church that we all enjoy to, to this day. The second thing that I see in the life of Barnabas, is that he had a good eye, and I made a reference to this last week, and he had a glad heart. <laughs> what do I mean by a good eye? Well, I spoke to you last week about he was always looking for the potential of grace. He was always trying, the embers, the little flickers of grace that he saw in people's lives, he was fanning those into flame. He was blowing on them. He, he, he was a great encourager. And so we read in Acts eleven twenty three last week when they heard that the church was doing well in Antioch and that it had been planted, they sent Barnabas to go and encourage the people because he, they knew he was a great encourager. He could see potential. He could see the embers burning in people's hearts and he could fan those embers into flame so they caught fire. And I I reminded you of this last week. It said, um, when he came and saw the grace of God, 
he was glad. It's like people that help to make other leaders, they have a heat sensor on the inside of them, and they're always zoned in to try and find where the grace of God is, where the fire of God is burning, so they can fan it into flame, so they can encourage it. It seems to me that the church is full of people with buckets of criticism. Whenever there's a little ember burning in someone's life, they do their best to pour a great big bucket of wet criticism on it and it just dies. What kind of church is that? Come on now. Let's be encouragers. Great encouragers of each other. The world is going to tell you you are rubbish already. The world is going to tell you you are failure, that you haven't got the right education, you can't do anything with your life. My friends, surely the place should be, the church should be the place that is doing exactly the opposite of that. It's seeing potential in people's lives, the grace of God transforming people, it's speaking hope and life and encouragement into everyone that we meet. Come on now. Thirdly, Barnabas was humble and self-effacing. And I want to spend a little bit of time looking at this this morning, because this really struck me again as I was preparing. He had this amazing gift. He had this beautiful gift of fading into the background. The culture in which we are living doesn't want anyone, well, doesn't value people that fade into the background. What is our culture value? Celebrity, just be famous for five minutes. Come on now. Just, just get your face on OK Magazine or, or Big Brother. Just get on there and win the show. Just do something for five minutes, 15 minutes. You can have your moment of fame. This is what our shallow culture values. Was Barnabas like that? He was completely the opposite. He was absolutely willing to fade into obscurity that no one remembered him except for those that really look. He's a remarkable man. Absolutely remarkable. So, in Acts 11, we read of Barnabas' ministry in Antioch, and it is so successful. There are hundreds and hundreds of people getting saved. There are converts everywhere. And I, I put it to you that if that was me, I would find it very difficult to walk away. <laughs> yeah? I mean, you've worked hard for a long time. And you've been trusting God for revival, and revival comes, and you start seeing hundreds of people saved, and the church is growing, and uh, people are getting set free, and signs and wonders. How many of us would find it easy just to say, thank you, I've done my job. I'm going to find someone else who can take it further. Barnabas was remarkable. He goes to Tarsus. He finds Saul, because he knows Saul is a better preacher, and he partners with Saul, and he allows Saul Paul to increase, and Barnabas begins to decrease. And you know what the amazing thing is? He's absolutely happy. (laughs) He's an amazing man. Verse 25, I went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when I found him, I brought him back to Antioch, and for a whole year, we met with the church and taught a great company of people. And what is Paul, let's have a look at the process of, of Barnabas decreasing and Paul increasing. In Acts 13, and notice the language of the scripture. The scripture is always very clear if you just look for, with, with sharp eyes. Acts 13, verse, first three verses, says this about um, the Holy Spirit sets apart Saul and Barnabas for a missionary journey to Cyprus and Galatia. And he has the order of the names. If you see in verse 2, it's Barnabas first, and it's Saul second. And it's the way it's been from Acts 11 all the way to Acts 12. Barnabas first, Saul second. 
When they go to Paphos, which is the, on the island of Cyprus, the proconsul invites them, uh, and uh, in Acts 13, verse 7, Barnabas still is the person of honor. It says, he summoned Barnabas and Saul, and he sought them to hear the word of God. So still, Barnabas is the main man, and Saul is the disciple. And then it says, when Elymas, the magician, tries to turn the proconsul away from the faith, because he comes to faith, what happens? Saul explodes with the Holy Spirit in verse 10. And he says, you son of the devil, you enemy of all that is righteous, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight path of the Lord? Saul is the one, suddenly now, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he is the one that takes on this magician. Why do you think that is? I was thinking about why do you think that is. Well, I think it's because, you know, Barnabas probably wouldn't have said it like that. <laughs> he probably wouldn't have. Barnabas was an encourager. Barnabas was always looking for the good in people. He probably wouldn't have said it like that. Paul had the right personality to say it, and he just, poof, he said it straight. And now notice, that's the first time Saul seems to be in charge. From that moment on, now look, in verse 13, it says, Luke writes and says, Paul and his company set sail from Paphos, and Barnabas is not even mentioned. Notice that? In verse 16 of that same chapter, it's Paul, not Barnabas, who delivers the sermon in Antioch in Posada. Both of, when both of them are mentioned from this point on in Acts, it's now Paul and Barnabas, no longer Barnabas and Paul. And I could give you references. Acts 13, 43, 46, 50, Acts 15, 2, 22, 35. The only place where it's not so is uh, in Jerusalem where Barnabas is on his home turf. And uh, that's why, because he's, he was one of the leaders in Jerusalem. And it's very interesting. I was looking in Acts 14. We can get a little, uh, a little kind of glimpse into how their partnership was, Paul and Barnabas. It says they come to Lystra, and there's been a man who's been healed again through the hand of Paul. In verse 11 of chapter 14, this is what the local people say about the relationship between Paul and Barnabas. It says this, when, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down in the likeness of people. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul, because he was the chief speaker, they called Hermes. So if you know your mythology... Zeus is the father of the Greek gods. And his Roman name is Jupiter. If you've read um, Asterix and Obelix, uh, I've, I've done to my kids, it's always uh, in, in, the, in those, those stories, it's always Jupiter and Mercury because that's the Roman versions of, of the Greek mythology. So his Roman name is Jupiter. Hermes is the, the son of Zeus and the, the, the messenger of the gods. And his Roman equivalent is Mercury. And so here, Barnabas is perceived as, by these Lyconians as the kind of father. He's, he's Zeus. He's the kind of wise father. And the young messenger, the young, the young speaker, Hermes, is Paul. And uh, he's happy for Paul to become more and more the speaker and for him to come more and more, go into the background. And so there are really two costs to those things. And I want to point you to what happens. <laughs> because this great father, Barnabas is happy for Paul to emerge and become a great theologian, a great church planter, and he humbly gives way to this, this young 
younger leader who's a, really a son of thunder. But this is what uh, we need to see, is that the price for Barnabas was that he becomes obscure. The price for Paul is that he's the one who starts to get stoned. Lastra, Acts 14, 19. They don't pick on Barnabas. They pick on the spokesman. They pick on the one who's actually saying <laughs> what he's saying. And because Paul is now the spokesman, he gets stoned. And uh, there are, there's a price for all of us, isn't there? If we are like Barnabas, the prices, obscurity, and others come into the fore. Sometimes if you are like Paul and you're the spokesman, the, promise is, the, the problem is that you get stoned, that everyone picks on you. <laughs> I'm nearly finished. The fourth thing I see in uh, Barnabas is that he's a man who's patient with the failure of others. Others. That's why he could raise so many people around him. He was a patient man. Now, I want to look at that in more detail next week with you when we talk about John Mark. We go back to Galatians and have a look at John Mark and how John Mark deserts their journey and what uh, Barnabas, how he responds to that. So I don't want to deal with that today. And the last thing I want to say is that Barnabas could raise other leaders because he was free from materialism. This, I find this such a practical outworking of the Holy Spirit in his life. He doesn't love money, he loves people. And uh, we've already mentioned Acts 4, where Luke um, he's given the name, the son of encouragement, because he practically demonstrates how he loves the, the early church by selling this field and laying the money at the apostles' feet. And he becomes known as a generous son of encouragement. And that's what biblical leader makers need to also get right in their lives. We are in this for people. We are not in this for money. So much of the church is in it for money. How big is your church? How big is your television program? How big is this? How big is that? We're not in this for money. We are in this for people. All of us. And those that are biblical Makers of leaders understand that. They are free from materialism. And uh, I found this fascinating. We're reading of Paul and Barnabas here in Acts. Twenty years later, Paul is writing a letter to the church in Corinth. Twenty years later. And this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 9, 4. He says this. Do we, speaking of himself, do we not have the right to our food and drink? Paul writing 20 years later, and he's still with Barnabas. Do we not have the right to be accompanied by our wives? As the other apostles and brothers do, like, Paul, like Peter. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working from, for a living? 20 years later, Paul and Barnabas are still working, still working while they preach the gospel. Man, that is an incredible challenge, isn't it? Twenty years later, he's still living by what he said. He's still putting his hand to the plow. He's still earning his own, his own living so that he can be free just to, to bless the churches. And so here we have still Barnabas, the old, the old father, and this younger man, Paul, keeping themselves lean, keeping themselves working hard refusing to take money from the church in Corinth so that they're making it clear to everyone they don't minister for money, they minister for people. So my last little challenge is to all of us, really. I want to ask you what you dream of. 
I'm asking this of myself. What do you dream of? You see, to, to be a maker of leaders, to be a maker of other people that are going to go, um, go ahead of us, go further than us. What do we think of? What do we dream of when we are, we are just, you know, in those alone times? And I am speaking to myself. Do you dream of clothes or cars? Do you dream of bigger houses, property? Do you, do you dream of uh, sports prowess? Do you dream of video games? Computers? Do you dream of great holidays in the Caribbean? Do you dream about how your investments are going to grow? Do you dream about those things? Those are, those are not bad in themselves, but I want to say this to you. Um, if our dreaming is always materialistic, if our dreaming is always materialistic about what we'd like, what we'd like to have, it doesn't naturally fit with the mind of someone who is being transformed by the power of Jesus to live for others. I understand this is a challenging thing that I'm saying because I'm saying it of myself. You see, those that are like Paul, Barnabas, they were living for other people, were living to raise other people up so they could go further than them. Whenever they dreamed, whenever their minds were thinking of things, I promise you their minds were, talk, were, were, were turning to people, to the potential of people, how they could best help others, how they could facilitate life in the church, all those things. How to maximize. They, they, they were dreaming of their influence being maximized through the lives of others. This is not a criticism, this is a challenge. So I want to ask you, as I ask myself, how can we encourage others? How can we start to dream for others this year? Many ways we can do it. Perhaps we can invite one of the teenagers. We want to go to Romania again this year. Perhaps, perhaps we, can, we can pay for one of the teenagers to go, just to get a little bit of an experience of life. Perhaps we could get behind what Tim is doing with the drop-in on a Friday afternoon to encourage those potential leaders of the future. Perhaps we could, perhaps we could um, invite someone for a meal that just needs to be encouraged. Perhaps we can give an anonymous gift to someone who's struggling financially. Perhaps we can just say, write a note and say thank you to someone that did something that blessed us. Perhaps you can read your children instead of letting them play themselves to sleep at night with their computer games. Perhaps you can just read them something that's going to inspire their lives out of a great hero from the past. Perhaps you could write a letter of encouragement, of, uh, an email. You see, the, the list is endless when we start thinking about it, but my point is a very simple one. We have to be free. There's a heart-deadening materialism that can, that can rule our lives. When all we are thinking about is our holidays, our money, our house, and I want to put it to you, living in St. Albans, that's very easy to come under that. Very easy. The size of your house, the size of your car, the success of your career, water, 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 water. And those things are not bad in themselves, but they can rob you from living for other people. Come on now. Jesus loved us so much that he came and he died, that we might be free. He lived for us. I want to encourage you, our role as Christians, our, our calling as Christians is no longer to live for ourselves, but to live for others. It is so simple to say, it is so hard to live out. This is what Barnabas did. He lived for others. So here we have, we've met Barnabas. He was a maker of great leaders. He took risks to support dangerous people that no one else would support. He uh, had a great art to see the work of grace in people's lives and to encourage that. He was humble. He was 
prepared to disappear into the background. He was patient with the other people's failure of other people, and he was free. And he filled his thoughts freer from materialism, and he filled his thoughts and dreams with how to make leaders for the church and for the glory of God. And so my, my hope, my prayer is very simple this morning, that the Lord would fill this church and fill our lives with those that are trying to make others into leaders. For the cause of Jesus, not for our fame, the cause of Jesus, not only here, but those that are going to influence other people around the world. And I was so encouraged when uh, we had the opportunity just to have, um, and I've forgotten their names, Mike and Engela come back from Beijing. Wasn't it, wasn't it encouraging to hear what they're doing? Uh, what she was doing here, working with the homeless, she's now working with the homeless in Beijing. <laughs> it's wonderful. She's, she's taking her gift. She's using what God has given her, and she's encouraging. Wherever you are, you can be a great encourager. I've had people that have really encouraged me in my life and lifted up my hands. And in the last couple of years, dear friends that have lifted up my hands, we can all do that for each other. Amen? Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your goodness to us. I want to thank you, Lord, for your word, which is so rich when we begin to dig in and see what your word says. I want to thank you for people like Barnabas that are such an example to us and uh, uh, an encouragement to us, Lord, just by how they lived. Thank you for how he made way for Saul, uh, who became such a wonderful gift to the church. Lord, my prayer is that you'd fill this church, this church community, with men and women that are living to make space for others, that we, would, we really would see the potential in each other's lives and fan that into flame. Wherever we see the embers of grace, that we would fan those into flame. Wherever we see failure, we would be patient with it, so that we can encourage someone into their destiny. Lord, fill our church with people like that. Transform us, Lord, that we might be those that um, respond in the years that lie ahead in more and more of a, a way like Barnabas did. And Father, my prayer too is where we are still gripped by materialism, that you would put that to death in our lives, Father. We thank you for the many, many blessings that we have. I thank you, Lord, that we do. We, we are privileged to live as I said the other day, top 1% probably of the wealthiest people in the world, we live as those people. What a great privilege that is, Lord. What a, what a great gift that is. And I, my prayer is that we would use our possessions wisely, that we would use our talents wisely, that we would use our gifts wisely, that we would live for others for the glory of your name and the glory of your kingdom. I pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.